Hey there, and welcome to Radio Meteor, the podcast where I watch an episode of 90s anime Gundam Wing and ramble about it because at 13 years old, I used to have a picture of Katra Rababa winner pinned up inside my locker, and I still not learnt shame. This week, Katra and Yuo go to an explosive party, Relina gate crashes, and their metaphors aren't blooming nicely. I'm Odomaki, aka Lemon Trash. Welcome to Orbit. So, last week we saw Hero self-destruct and things got real. This episode is very much about picking up the aftermath of that. Episode 11 is titled The Whereabouts of Happiness, or, as they say in Japan, Kōfuku no Yukue. And in Return to Form, the title credits are read by Hero this week. We start out the episode with Duo, who is hiding somewhere in Africa, unable to do much because there's so many Oz forces milling around. And I think we see a real handicap of the Gundams here. Other than Gundam 01, they're all reliant on aircraft or trucks to move any considerable distance, and up until now they've just kind of been picking up transport on an ad hoc basis. Presumably fueling is also a problem. Lucky for Duo, Katra is capable of something that none of the Oz forces is capable of, which is to spot a 16 meter tall robot sitting amongst some trees. Um, you know, again, Duo, for shame, you're supposed to be good at hiding. Oh, I don't know, maybe Catra's space heart led him there, you know, who knows. Also Morse code, that's still a thing. The future is wonderfully archaic. Uh, speaking of this, we get some world building here. We get a little flashover of the Maganac Corps mobile suits, and they're all numbered, like a football team. Uh, and this makes me wonder if it actually is like that, if they have a set number of mobile suits and they've got the 40 men and Rashid is like, Abdul, you're in number five today. Or maybe it's hereditary, like number five gets destroyed or, or dies. I know, sad. But then somebody else steps into that position. Or maybe they get like promoted, so then like number six becomes number five. I don't know. It's uh at any rate, the whole numbering would tie in so beautifully with the way in which that Katra is the strategist of our little group of protagonists. On meeting Katra, Duo admits that he's feeling pretty blue following Hero's destruction and Hero's presumed death. And we're starting to see a further evolution of the dynamic between the main characters. So far, Katra has been reaching out and kind of studying his peers, and Duo has been kind of following people around, poking his nose in. But in the aftermath of the last battle, they're now actually starting to form more emotional connections. And it's interesting that it's Katra who offers pragmatic help uh, in terms of getting out of the immediate situation that they're in, and that it's Duo who is reaching out emotionally. Having said that, Katra has a line here which in the English subtitles is and I need time to think. But in Japanese he says which is better translated as I want to sort through my feelings too. So Duo says yeah and I could do with some sympathy. And then Katra has this line. That's the context. I think that statement of wanting to sort through his feelings is quite important for Katra's arc in that he does have very mixed feelings that he struggles to fully understand and that he wants to understand his own emotions better. So I think this is a poor translation in this case and it also loses the contrast with Duo who knows his feelings and what he wants. You know, he's sad. He wants the comfort of some company who can relate to why he's feeling that way. 
we don't really know what Catra's confusion is over. Um, you know, he's he's obviously he felt Hero's injury. He can't really say it's a death because we know he's not dead. But he felt that incredibly physically and incredibly painfully. Um but perhaps does he agree that Hero's choice was the best or the only option from a strategic perspective? Is that where his cognitive conflict is coming from? You know, because Hero's actions threw off their enemy. It manipulated the enemy's honour because Zex refused to continue fighting or he realised that the others wouldn't be fighting at their their real capacity uh, and he didn't want that in terms of a duel. It defined what Jay was doing to defuse the immediate threat to the colonies and it gave the others a chance to escape and most vitally it meant that Oz couldn't seize a Gundam. So Hero's self-destruction wasn't entirely a futile action even though it was horrifying. So yeah it's it's hard to say what Katra's really feeling at this point. Obviously Katra does himself doesn't know um, but I do feel it's building up to this kind of parallel between Katra's emotional state and his conflict there, and then Un's conflict in her mental state, which we'll come back to later. We then have another scene that plays on the man versus machine theme, where Noin asks Zex why bother to try and rebuild Hero's Gundam. She focuses very much on the machine, but Zex says he's thinking more about the pilot. And then when Noin says, but he's dead, so I guess no one cares about his staff, Zex replies that he isn't so sure about that, and that he hopes Hero is still alive. And it's almost nice of Zex, and then he adds that it's only because they're destined to battle. Zex, you just, last episode, you were shocked to see it was a kid behind the wheel. And now, yeah. Then again, I guess, given his childhood. Yeah. Anyway, meanwhile, Un is reporting to Trace, and it sets the foundation for her trip to space. Uh, We get a comment from him that the colonies are peace-minded, which is curious, though I can't really quite explain why that is so to me. Um, At any rate, Trace catches her hand as she goes to salute, and between the lines, he instructs her to put aside her military formality and go out to space with a veneer of nobility, rather than represent the army as strongly as she does. Uh, And it focuses very much on this bowl of roses that he has on the table. Now, for all Loin was like, you don't get Trace... Obviously, these people do have quite a close relationship for Un to understand what he means in this instance, because Treyas is anything except direct in his orders. Um, He does leave quite a bit open to interpretation. Back with Katra and Dua, we get another nice nugget of information, uh, in that not everybody falls neatly into the Oz slash Alliance boxes. There are apparently some nations which had never signed up, and unlike the Sank Kingdom, were tough enough to maintain their independence. And moreover, this is where the Maganax originate from. So, based on information from episode zero, this nation therefore is also heavily reliant on artificial means of reproduction, and also isn't adverse to a little... hmm, space piracy, should we call it? Anyway, these guys are great. (laughs) They're super well-informed. They are really well-organised. They... they're a role model, and they definitely fall into that category for the young pilots at this stage Um, and it's kind of too bad these uh, Middle Eastern characters can get involved a little bit more they just don't have the sufficient firepower Um, oh yeah and the commander calls Katra Katra Kun which is a really cute but b also suggests that they've met before and have a sort of level of familiarity 
which then makes the earlier bit where Catra doesn't tell Duo what's up really quite funny because Duo is really quite alarmed when Catra just walks straight into this mysterious base in the middle of the desert. Um, he's kind of worried. Uh, obviously, it's, it's fine. Both Catra and Duo say that the failure to stop the attack by Oz was their fault. And the word that they use is sekinin, which I think is maybe better passed as responsibility. Like the message in the translation here is largely the same. Um, but they say we're to blame in the English, whereas I think it would be better translated as it was our responsibility and then unspoken and we failed. You know, it's just a slightly different type of self-accusatory. Uh, I think it does change it slightly. Dewar's speech is also really fun in the scene. Um, he plays with formality. I talked about him playing with language before, but he, he does play with it here. Catra is defaulted to his standard well-bred politeness, and Dewar tinkers with that. So when they offer to fix his Gundam, he says, Like, this is one muddled old sentence. So like the first half is slangy, kind of like, man, like, whatever's good, bro. That more is kind of complainy, and then nandemo is whatever. And then he uses okay in English. It's like, okay da, more nandemo okay da. And then that uh, yaroshiku tanomimasu is a kind of pro forma bit of politeness. It's kind of, that can be translated as I appreciate it. Uh, but note that mass verb ending. He's he's jumping back up to a, a more standardised level of politeness. And then he immediately drops it again. Um, Catra's introduction is great as well. Joe basically rattles off all of Catra's stats. Like He's a fan. Uh, he's, he's well aware of who the winners are. Uh, and we learn that Catra has disinherited himself. Um, Joe gives his, he may run and hide, but he doesn't tell a lie, Joe Maxwell, a uh, little motto. Overall, it's just a great scene. It really well characterises them. Meanwhile, Relina, with no one better to stalk, has followed Un to Russia, or she's preempted Un's trip there. Uh, we see Un on a screen wearing a rose, which was shown earlier in the bowl on Trace's desk. Um, yeah, Radina, big mood. She turns the screen off. It's not even her screen. And then she goes to gatecrash a party. Oh, and then we get a- another nugget, which is like thrown in and never really well explained. Um, Marquis Werbridge spots her trying to break into the party while he's on the escalator up to this historic building. What? Uh, but he recognises her birth mother uh, in how Radina looks, and he says, Katarina. Um, but it's never explained. They never they never reveal what he means by Katarina. And I don't know if it is ever, ever mentioned again. It's just a complete throwaway line um, that's never developed. Un arrives, and she arrives in style uh, with her own escort of super over-enthusiastic mobile suits and airplanes. Lady, Trace told you to tone it down. Like, a, a buttonhole is not enough if you're going to pull stunts like this. Werbridge drops some info, uh, which I struggled to get in line. Okay, so according to him, the Alliance wanted peace through military might and opposed total pacifists like the Sank Kingdom. Rumafella, the rich nobility of Earth, opposed the Alliance, but then started arming themselves, which then, over time, evolved into Oz. I think that's how it works. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, Un has arrived. She has zero grace. I mean, <laughs> even the orchestra stops playing when she walks in. And she treats the party like a business meeting. Uh, oh yeah, and she introduces herself as Lady Un. 
And I don't know if I've mentioned this clearly before or not, but lady is always in English.、Uh, so it's not a title in Japanese, it's almost like a name,、um, which is not impossible. I once had a student named Lady Diana. Her mother apparently had been a fan of Princess Diana, but hadn't found out that Lady isn't just another English name until, unfortunately, after the fact. Yes, she did primarily just go by Diana. Anyway, here's something else about Un. She is damn near blind to anything that she's not interested in.、Um, Relina was stood there the entire time, and it's not until Werbridge gestures to her that Un gives her enough of a look to actually recognise her. Like, Dang, Un, you, you're rude. Um, anyway, bites her in the bum because Relina uses the opportunity to take a shot at her. No. What a badass! Didn't see that coming.、Uh, I don't think I actually even caught this episode when I first watched the series. I missed quite a number here and there because of the constant need to negotiate whether or not I was allowed to watch cartoons past 6 pm with my mother. But damn, I, I wish I had. I feel like if I'd managed to watch the entire series episode by episode as it was airing, Uh, I probably would have liked Relina a lot more when I was younger. And again, you know, major clicks to this series for actually having very well created and differentiated female characters.、Uh, and also, in one fell swoop, Relina achieves what Lady Un was supposed to do. She wins over a powerful group of Earth nobles. So, yeah, you go again, Coco. Relina definitely deserves her place as the big giant head. <laughs> Back to Africa, and Katra and Duo are in the mines of Moria.、Uh, so it seems like the Maganaks have tunnels and underground caves that just go everywhere under this desert, which is pretty cool. They pop out into a town which is rejoicing because the Maganaks are home, and the Maganaks are greeted as heroes. There's this great sense of positivity and peace and prosperity, in fact, because we see a whole spread of food, and, and people are happy. Uh, there's talk about how this is because, and there's a conversation that takes place about the fact that this is because the nation is unified and it is presenting a single strong front of independence. To which Katra asks, What about us? This leads Katra and Jura to go away and discuss their respective situations and purpose, and they discover some nasty little similarities. They all have the same. Mission parameters. Don't worry about the colonies. Destroy Oz. This is about revenge. Up until now, they perhaps haven't questioned that as deeply as they are now. So, Hero's, you know, quote unquote suicide has really thrown up a lot of questions for them. And it's paving the way for them to set their own mission parameters. Things are gonna change. I don't actually have much to say about the battle and bombs plot, other than it seems a little daft to me to wait until midnight before attacking. You know, like, why let Oz dictate the terms? But at any rate, I still really like the idea that the Maganax just have a billion tunnels everywhere.、Um, they use them to their advantage, just like pop up like gophers, I guess. The nicest bit about this whole episode is that Duo gets some much needed validation. Just as he's beating himself up for not doing enough, not being. Strong enough, he's thanked and he's given flowers and he's told that he is a hero, whatever he's doing at this stage, just by dint of who he is and what he represents. And so, this whole episode is a counterpoint to what happens later in Duo's story arc and the question that he's always asking, which is, Am I the good guy?、Uh, and it's poignant that he finds such a wholehearted acceptance on Earth. 
that he doesn't then find in his home territory. Uh, and he responds to this really quite closely. He hangs on to his little bunch of flowers and he does whatever he can to support the Maganaks. Because after all, it's their home that they're fighting for. You know, he knows what that feels like. The scene closes with Juro commenting that next time the colony's thoughts will be united. And I suppose this is a means of showing how the colonies are all very separate entities at this point. They don't agree with one another. Uh, they don't communicate well with one another. And the pylons are kind of the microcosm of this. And until the colonies can get it together in the way that the Maganax homeland has, they're not going to see much success. United we stand and all of that. The episode ends with more rad ladies, uh, which honestly is how every episode should end, in my opinion. Relina is balls to the wall, facing down two mobile suits and at least four soldiers with a party frock and a pistol. Oh, and she doesn't say please this time, she just says Hanashte, you know, FYI. Uh, and then Noin arrives and takes command. She has some serious badass trick shots here as well. She is skilled. Uh, she shoots the Oz badge from a soldier's cap and it is symbolic with a capital S. This prompts Relina to ask her, who are you? In the kind of tone that implies that Noin is not here as a representative of Oz. And also, Noin then refers to Relina as Relina Piskraft Sama. It's very deferential. She bows, despite the fact that she has just said that she's there on orders from Triz. So, hmm, the plot thickens. You know, is she lying? Uh, did she just name drop Trez in order to squirrel Relina away because she's hot for peacecrafts? I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll have to find out. Um, so yeah, that's it for this episode. It's actually fairly short and sweet. Uh, it's the first episode with no tra hero or Wufe. Uh, we didn't go around the houses uh, because there was actually enough plot for 20 minutes for once. <laughs> um, I am guessing we'll be calling on them next time. Anyway. Thanks for listening, and I hope it gave you some food for thought. If you have comments, questions, or just want to give me your headcanons or floral symbolism, you can find me at lemontrash.tumblr.com or send me a pineapple on the Radio Meteor website. I'm also really curious to know if anybody's got some information about the battle that goes down, if it is related to any type of real warfare that's happened, because I've discussed how the writers like to put a little nod in to actual historical event. Um, but this is an area I really know, know, know nothing about, and I don't even know how to start Googling. So if you know anything, I'd be fascinated to hear it. I'm Odomaki, aka Lemon Trash, and I'll see you in orbit next time. Bye!